Welcome to the Dharma Spring. As I mentioned in the email and even last time, um, that I forgot to change on the paper to make it say the three root vows versus the three pure vows. And I explained in the email the reason I see it as a root vows is it's a place from which things grow. Um, and pure speaks to the level of that foundation, the pure essence before things grow. It has that sense to it. But we can also see pure as something we need to protect and contain and maintain. And that's why I'm like, I'm not sure that this, these vows are about anything to protect and maintain. They're more these root sources that we can return to and out of which all the actions of the precepts that will be taken up grow. They all contain these three elements. To not do harm, to do good, and to do good for others. <clears throat> it also, to me, seems a lot of this is just our natural state. And I really like you know, these words from Dogen, the very first one, you know, this is the cave where the teachings of all the Buddhas have their source. I think of a cave, it's a dark place. You can't really see much. That cave for me is just, I can just lean back into this dark cave, rest in this source, and out of that cave is where everything comes. So I can just naturally lay, lie on it and not have to worry about it. It's, it's my essence. And the other one, this is the way of perfect enlightenment and the path that everyone walks. It doesn't say the path that everyone aspires to walk. It's the path you're already walking, this vow to do good. Everyone walks it. We're all trying to figure out how to make our way along, how to do our best, yeah, naturally. And then the last one, I vow to do good for others, it almost seems, it's not quite as natural <laughs> because we introduce others and then it gets complicated. But we do have a desire to do good and to bring it out into the world. But as I mentioned, once we start offering it to other, others, we lose control over what good is and we have to keep going back to square one and figuring it out. It gets complicated. It's like if everybody would just follow my plan and my idea for how the world should work, it'd be, it'd be great. But Fortunately, it doesn't work that way, and I get to learn, and I get to, and to get to, you know, revisit that again and again and again. It's kind of like I rest in that place of I don't want to do harm. I want to do good. I want to do good for others, and so I come forth and offer it. Now it's time to rinse and repeat. <laughs> Got to wash all that away, lest I should think I know what I'm doing. Um, once and for all, come up with that one formula that I think will suit every situation, which is impossible. Maybe the only formula is just showing up. There's a seat right over here that's open. Waiting just for you. <laughs> but there's another side of this uh, of the the third, that is actually natural. And it is 
to me, the, the key of the Bodhisattva way, of the Mahayana Buddhist approach, is it's in that third vow. And the way it is a natural expression of who we are is because we are not separate from the world. We are not separate from one another. We're connected to everything. So naturally, whatever we do affects everything around us. It affects the world because we are that and it is us. So to say I vow to do good for others is to acknowledge the reality that there are no others. It's all part of one seamless body, as one of our sutras says. And though it's natural, it doesn't make it easy, yeah. Um, and again, not just that third, this whole, these three root vows, to me, contain the essence of what we're up to here in this tradition, in the Mahayana tradition. And it's different. These vows are different from the original version. And that's what makes Mahayana distinct from Theravada Buddhism, as it's called. Um, these days we call it that more often, or you might hear it called vipassana, or insight, because there's another term that has become a bad word that we don't use, Hinayana, <laughs> versus Mahayana. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But first, the original vows, and this is, if you look at the Dhammapada, the teachings of the Buddha, in the collected book, verse 183 contains these three vows, and it says, I vow to do good, no, I vow not to do harm, I vow to do good, I vow to purify my mind. This is what all the Buddhas teach, and that's what it says. So the third one is different from this one, right? And that's maybe where the pure comes into. I vow to cleanse my mind, I vow to purify my mind. And so, Mahayana, said, well, that's not enough. It's not enough just to work on ourselves. We must do something. We must bring this out into the world. This is about doing something for the world, so we have to go beyond that. So, the bad word, Hinayana, means lesser vehicle, versus Mahayana, lesser vehicle. Hina is lesser, Yana is vehicle. Mahayana means greater vehicle. And so people hear that as a judgment statement, a pejorative. Oh, that's the lesser vehicle. And that's why we don't say Hinayana so much these days. And if you have somebody who practices Vipassana or Theravada and you say Hinayana, they're like, oh, <laughs> I had that happen. It's like, oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> but there's a, there's a different version, a different way to look at it that has no kind of judgment value or value judgment at all. It's really an acknowledgement of a, a, the lesser vehicle, meaning the territory you're working on is not as wide as the greater vehicle. It's a lesser territory. doesn't mean it's not a valuable territory to work on. We must work upon ourselves. It's important to do that, to look at our mind, to purify it. I don't know if we need to do that, but to understand our mind. We have to do that work on ourselves, self-cultivation, all of that. Greater just means the territory goes beyond just working on ourselves. The greater vehicle is then raising our eyes to the horizon, looking around us and seeing, oh, 
I do that work upon myself so that I can do the work in the world hopefully more effectively. And so if you look this up, the word they say is, well, the Mahayana looked at these vows and they changed the third one to, uh, I vow to do good for others and got rid of, I vow to purify my mind. I don't see it that way. I see it as recognizing that in the realm of I vow to do good, that is the realm of working on myself. It's implied in there. So we don't, get, we don't discard it, we just move it into that realm because it, I vow to do good is just how do I develop the ability to be helpful? And it is working on myself. And that's why there's a distinction between that then doing good for others means, okay, now what I'm going to do what am I going to do with this world and the people around me? So for me, it's not at all discarding the Hinayana view, it's recognizing that is contained within Mahayana. We must work on ourselves. We must work on that lesser territory in order to be of service to the greater territory. So, a little uh, something to put in your pocket. <coughs> and then see what happens if you ever say Hinayana to somebody who practices Theravada. <laughs> and see if you can remember trying to make that distinction. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the other side of, you know, seeing that this is a key part of Mahayana has to do with the fact that Mahayana Buddhism is known as the Bodhisattva way. I mean, our series is called the Bodhisattva Way Precepts series. And our ceremony is called Taking Refuge in the Bodhisattva Way. So I want to talk about Bodhisattva, what that means in this context. Um, and it's also, well, hmm. Bodhisattva, it means awakened being. So the way of the awakened being is what we're practicing. And that could sound like a pretty big thing if we're looking at awakened in the large sense of being a Buddha, yeah? <laughs> but I think there's only one thing we need to be awakened to, and it's what I already spoke of. It's that deep and intimate realization that you as an individual are a part of and connected to and are essentially everything and everyone. It is you, you are it. That's the key thing to be awake to as a bodhisattva. That is your awakening as a bodhisattva, is I'm not in this alone. I don't exist separate. I'm a part of everything. And I have a responsibility when I, when I recognize that. And when I realize it deeply, I can't help but live my life in a different way because of knowing deeply I'm a part of everything. I affect everything around me and I want to affect it in the most positive way, the most beneficial way that I can. Yeah. If you've ever looked up bodhisattvas, you'll find out that there are hundreds of thousands of bodhisattvas. And each of them have a specific name and a specific uh, specialty, a spe specific quality that they embody. Um, and there's two bodhisattvas associated with Mahayana Buddhism primarily. And that's Manjushri and Avalokiteshvara. She's also called Guanyin or Kanzion, Chinese and Japanese. They are wisdom and compassion. 
so you could say the way of the bodhisattva in Mahayana Buddhist terms is the way of combining wisdom and compassion in order to be effective in the world. And looking into this more closely, just through the bodhisattva lens, I was like, well, there's something amiss there. That's not enough, actually. Wisdom and compassion aren't enough. A lot of times you'll hear those two things spoken of primarily, and even on altars, in addition to the statue of a Buddha, you might have a statue of Guanyin and Manjushri on each side to, to say wisdom and compassion are important. And you know, without both, you have a one-sided, a lopsided approach to things. If you're only compassion without wisdom to discern things, you're, you're askew. And if you're all wisdom without compassion, you're kind of askew in a very direct and sometimes harsh way. So those two need each other. But again, they're not enough. And this goes to looking at the name of Avalokiteshvara. It means one who hears the cries of the world. That's all it means. I had been adding because of that sense of it's not enough just to hear, it had to do something. I was adding, one who hears the cries of the world and responds. So I noticed there's this natural impulse, I've got to do something when I hear those cries, yeah? But, I mean, I did that for so long, I thought that was what her name was. So I looked up again, I was like, oh wait, there's nothing in there about responding and doing anything. It's just about hearing those cries of the world. What happens to responding, but also noticing it was that natural impulse for me to bring up. I also noticed in our liturgy, when we have ceremonies, we have an invocation that we do, and we have a meal ceremony where we do some chants, and there were other bodhisattvas mentioned in those, one of which is Samantabhadra, great action. It's like, oh, that's where the responding comes in, it's through great action. Nothing to do with uh, Avalokiteshvara. They need each other too, yeah? And then there's another one, uh, Shitagarbha is its name, commonly known in Japanese and more popularly as Jizo. And it's uh, a being who, the story goes, it's a long story. So the, the end of the story is that that particular bodhisattva has made a deep vow to help others. And the action that that particular bodhisattva does is goes down to the gates of hell, pries them open, and goes into hell. And while there, is fighting against forces and doing things to help others. But then when, when leaving, and these are great little statues you can see, under his robes he's taking people out. <laughs> Because it looks like he's down there doing something great. He's really just going in there and sneaking people out of hell, helping them again and again. But he makes a vow, a commitment, I'm going to keep returning and doing that until hell is emptied. He's a kidnapper. Yeah, he's a kidnapper. Um, so I looked at these four, and again, it came out of realizing, well, compassion just says listening, not responding. There's more that needs to be here. This was a few years ago. I was putting together a program for the baccalaureate service up at the academy and um, <clears throat> discovered there are actually four 
Mahayana bodhisattvas, not just two. We've been focusing on the two for a long time, but there are officially four, and it is those four. So we have their names, Avalokiteshvara, Manjushri, Samantabhadra, and Shittagarbha. And their qualities are compassion, wisdom, action, and intention, is what I call it. The last one was what? Intention. Making that vow. <clears throat> and we need all four of those in order to work in the world. Compassion is our empathy, yeah? Our ability to not put up the walls, to, to be open, to listen, to be vulnerable, to hear, and have our hearts crack open. That is a whole and complete experience, and it's helpful, but it's not enough to do something about things. We then need wisdom to discern, what do I do about this? What is needed in this situation? How do I respond? And that's, you know, in the head, that's wisdom, that's discernment. Then we need samantabhada, we need great action, or skillful action is what I've called it on the program. Skillful action. I hear what's going on, it's touching my heart, I've discerned what is needed in the situation, and now I can take action and do something with the other two. But then the last one is, and why? What is my intention here? <laughs> why am I doing this? So I must have that there as well, otherwise it's incomplete. And as I, as I see it, you can take any two or three of those, and it's always going to be incomplete. You know. For instance, wisdom and action and intention can be very helpful to, to engage in, but if they don't have compassion, they can be harmful. Just take one of those out, and you can see it's an incomplete um, recipe, an incomplete approach. So, that would, that's what I'd say the essence of the Mahayana way is developing those four qualities. Wisdom, compassion, skillful action, and intention. Making a vow. Combining those and then we take up these precepts that we'll be taking up from here on out. But they're rooted in that, yeah? In these root, these root vows are about that. Which stem from the deep <coughs> awakening to the fact that I and all things are one. And not one. We're not two. You're separate from me, but we're not disconnected. It's also helpful you know, to keep those in mind, I think, as, you know, when I'm wanting to respond to a situation and I, and I feel like I'm not quite yet knowing what to do, I might look at, well, am I touching on all four of these in this situation? <laughs> and if I notice maybe one or two are lacking, I can lean into those. Oh, I need to open up a little more compassion here before I run headlong with my wisdom and start changing the world <laughs> haphazardly. So what I did is I had created that program for the baccalaureate service again a couple of years, a few years ago. 
So I went and I took the images out with the names and I brought them today. I'll put them up here on the table too, in case you want to have them as reminders. It has images of the Bodhisattvas traditionally, and underneath each of them I put the words that they represent. If you care to have that as a reminder, might make a good coaster too. <laughs> And I think, again, they're a good combination with, I vow not to do harm. I vow to do good. I vow to do good for others. I vow to be compassionate. I vow to connect with wisdom. I vow to act, to do something about it. And I vow to make a commitment and have an intention to what I'm doing. Those couples together, I think. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.